0: So who are we? Who are you? It's a good question, isn't it? I'm Not not in the, not in the terms of Pete Townsend singing, who are you, but just uh, who are you in Christ? You know, That's the question that you have to ask yourself when maybe you get mixed up or confused or you're lost on your, on your walk with God. You just have to go back to the simple question, who am I? And then answer that question, I'm a child of God. I love that video. I also like the one song we sang there. And I talked about it in the first service, it about, talks about my one defense, my righteousness. Think about that combination. Your one defense against everything that comes against you in the world, that song to me is telling us, is your righteousness, your right standing with God. So who am I? Well, I have right standing with God. So when people come against us, or things come against you, or the thoughts of the enemy come against you, your one defense, the only one you have, is to know who you are. And you're a child of God. That's your right standing, that's your righteousness. I love when we sing songs that tell you about who you are, or songs about the blood of Jesus. Those those are the songs that speak right to your heart and set you free. So I'm just gonna start right at the top today that tell you that you are a citizen of heaven. And you got a king living on the inside of you. We celebrate Independence Day. I celebrate it because I'm an American. And it's because I'm a citizen of this country, and I love this country. But I, I want you to realize today, you're more than just a citizen of the United States, you're a citizen of heaven. And a lot of people just wait until the day they, they end up dying, and then they think that's when they become a citizen of heaven. Well, if you haven't confessed Jesus the Lord, you won't be a citizen of heaven today and rightfully live out here in the kingdom of heaven, and you will not be a citizen of heaven in the future. But I'm talking about right now. If you're 100 years old, you're 9 years old, you're 50 years old, and you're a Christian, you have a lot of life left in the kingdom of heaven here on earth to live out. We're just not going to wait around until we get to, the, to heaven. It's going to be great and glorious. It's going to be awesome. You know, people look at the way the country's going right now and they think, I just wish Jesus would come back tomorrow. Well, there's 7 billion people on earth. There's probably 1 billion that are saved. We're 6 billion people short. You know, Jesus doesn't need to come back until we get All those people saved. And then we'll go from there. I like what it said in that that video. It says, You're chosen, holy, and blameless. It said it. It said at the end, you were his masterpiece. It said you were loved by God. And then it said, You were made complete through grace and mercy of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about that. The last line of the video said this. When we see ourselves the way God sees us, we walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question, who am I? So that means nobody can put you in a box. Nobody can label you because God is the only one who can answer the question of who you are. And with Jesus on the inside of you as a Christian, you're the same as him on the inside. That's how God sees you. So nobody can say, this is who you are. Many times as Christians or as people on the earth, people always want to say, well, that's who you were. People want to tell me that I am Mark. The 25-year-old guy in college playing hockey. That's how they define me. And I'm like, that's not even, I wasn't even that person back then when I was doing those things. That's not how God wanted me here on earth. And so when people try to poke you back, maybe you become a Christian and you've had a total transformation in your life, people always try to remind you of who you were. Remember where you came from? Remember? I'm like, yeah, I know where I came from. I came from heaven. And I was bought at a high price. See, God sees you spirit to spirit. And he planted himself on the inside of the believer and he looks past all your junk right into your spirit. And what he sees in that spirit? He sees his son, Jesus Christ. Think about that. All the junk that you have on the outside right now, and we could list it here for hours, God doesn't even see that. He goes right into the heart of the matter. He sees right into your spirit. And as a Christian, you have the same spirit as Jesus Christ. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is how God sees you right now as the believer. Because you're a citizen of heaven and you've got a king living on the inside of you. You don't have any king living on the inside. you. You have the king living on the inside of you. That's good news. That's great news to me. So God, who is love, dwells in the believer. We know that. The fact that God created this whole world to me is amazing. When you think about creation and all those things that God did, leading up to creation of man, those are amazing things. I look around the world and I say, God, it's astounding. But to me, an even greater, more amazing, truthful thing is that he planted himself on the inside of me so I could have a right relationship with him. That trumps everything. Because when you, when you realize that the only reason why God did all that stuff is to have a relationship with Adam at that time. And of course they blew it, right? Then we get Jesus to come back and bring us back in a right relationship with God. So the whole book in Genesis there in the creation is creating a place for you and I to dwell and to have a right relationship with God, a relationship with him. That's amazing. And that's the message to me of creation that trumps all the stuff that he formed and built. It's that he wanted to have a relationship with me. So a lot of people think on, what did God do on the day he rested? Why did he rest? Was he tired? Was he wore out? Was he beat? He just needed to put his feet up? After he made man, it was complete. And he wanted man to utilize everything that he created to live a fruitful life. That's why God rested. He wasn't tired. He's not tired right now. He's not frustrated with his hand's throwing up in the air at the state of affairs in America or the Middle East. He's not tired. He's at peace. and That's why we should be at peace when we see turmoil throughout the world. God's at peace. He lives on the inside of us. We should be at peace. We don't go go by our sight and our news reports and things like that. So God sees you spirit to spirit. That's an amazing thing. He looks right into you. Colossians one twenty two says, He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless and you stand before him without a single fault. That's awesome. You're in his presence and you stand before him today without a single fault. Then it goes on to say in verse 23, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. It says, don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Standing firm. We're given a foundation through the Word of God through Jesus Christ as the firm foundation. We have the choice to stand on it. Or we can stand over here, it says in the scriptures on the sandy foundation that's going to cause us to sink. And when things come against us in life, which foundation you're standing on, it never changes. You have the opportunity to stand in Jesus Christ all the time. Don't get off that foundation. You don't take your new beautiful house that you build on a nice foundation and just say, I just think I'm going to put it over here on the dirt. Be silly. You have it on a foundation for a reason. So God looks past all your deficiencies as a human and straight into your perfect spirit, like I said earlier, which is 100% Jesus. That's what he sees. Now when my wife looks at me and I make a mistake, she sees me on the flesh. She can say, okay, there's a few things about Mark, just a few, that aren't so perfect. Because she sees me in my, in my life. I see her that way at times. We see our kids that way. And we go through our whole life. If you're an employer, you see your employees that way. Or you go to your family reunion, there's 100 people there and you see these people that have messed up lives or great lives, and you just focus on what you see in the flesh. See, God doesn't see it that way. He looks right past everything. All your deficiencies, all your junk, all your garbage, and he looks right into your spirit as a born again believer, and it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That's got to be uplifting to someone here today who's just been struggling and struggling and struggling just to get on with life, just to try to get ahead. Someone who's been labeled this or you've been labeled that your whole life. So God says, "I I I sent my Son so that you don't have to attach those labels to yourself, that you can be free." So when you get knocked down on the floor, God says, "Get up off the floor, get up here in the throne room with me." Jesus is up in the throne room with God, ruling and reigning right now. He's up there, and He says, "Come up here with me. Get a different view of your life. Get a different view of the world." Ever seen the movie Dead Poets Society with Robin Williams? Maybe some of you have, and there's a scene in the movie where he takes these kids and he brings them up in a line and they stand up on the desk and they look over the classroom and they read poetry and they hop off. And it's in a really private, strict school that no one in their right mind would let you stand on this desk, but he lets them get up there and they look. And the reason why I bring that up is because they're getting a different view. They're looking out over everything. You know, I see kids here sitting in church sometimes and they can barely see over the seat. They have to stand up to see me. Me up here right now, I can see everything perfectly. And that's what God's telling us. He says, come up here to my throne room and get a perfect view. Get a perfect view of reality. Because when I'm down here at the level, I just see everything. I see the dirt and the garbage that's at my level. But when I get up into the throne room of Christ, I can see above and beyond the fray. I get the picture of God's kingdom. Colossians 1.22 says we are holy, blameless, and unreprovable. Those are three qualities that you have in your spirit right now. We can't lose our salvation through not being good enough, but I wrote down here that we can reject it. And what I mean is, I believe once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you become a Christian, you're going to go to heaven. I believe that. But we we can reject living out our salvation. We can choose not to live all the benefits of God. I believe living in salvation means you can live a life with nothing missing and nothing broken. But as a Christian, sometimes we choose to reject that truth and just muddle through life. You're still going to go to heaven, but you're going to have hell on earth until you get to heaven. Where God's saying, this is my foundation, stand upon it, know who you are inside, you're just like me, and then you can get above and beyond the distractions in your life. And we can't lose your salvation because you're not good enough. Because you know what? We'd all be, we'd lose our salvation every day. Every single one of us would lose our salvation every day if we lost it on the fact that we're not good enough. Because only one was good enough. And that was Jesus. And I think that's a victory for me. That I can accept the fact that I'm not good enough. But through him I can do all things. Colossians 1.23 tells us to stay grounded in faith. This grounded word is the same word that's translated founded in Matthew 7, 25, and Luke 26. And it's talking about Jesus in the parables of the man who built his house upon the rock. We know this story. I said it earlier. This house withstood the flood because it was founded upon rock. That's the foundation. So the same word grounded in Colossians that we've been talking about is also the same word founded in that that scripture about being a firm foundation. You see where I'm going here. You see in the parables of Jesus, the wind and the rain came And it beat upon the house, which is you. You're the house. And whether it was built on rock or sand, determined how it went through life. See, the difference is, as Christians, we are founded on the rock of Christ. And we won't crumble. We might teeter back and forth sometimes in the wind. But you know what? We're not going down if we're firm in Christ. Paul was describing someone who had a good foundation, that's Jesus, and a well-established in their faith. We get born again, we stand on the rock, and we grow our faith through the word of God, through prayer, through coming to church, through fellowship, through praise and worship. As a born-again believer, you have entered into a new citizenship in a new kingdom. That's what I said, you're now a citizen of heaven. You have been grounded, you've been founded, and you've been settled into a new place, a place, a place that was formed from the very beginning. See, a lot of people just think when Jesus died on the cross that this whole new idea of God enveloped, came out, and then there was this new world 2,000 years ago. That's what God had, God had this plan and put it into motion from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Jesus just came at an appointed time to take that to the next level. That's what he did. The foundation was laid before you were a twinkle in your parents' eyes, before Jesus was on earth, before Noah floated an ark, before Joseph saved his family, before Adam and Eve. So this has been God's plan for us all along. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says this: For no man can lay a foundation, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid. What's that mean? It's already laid. Which is Jesus Christ. That's it. It's right there. Don't jump off the foundation. Don't build a new foundation next to the foundation. That's what people do. That's what what religions do. They take the message of Christ, they take the message that Paul has been preaching to us for 2,000 years, and they add to it or they subtract from it. And when you add or subtract from the proper foundation, it's going to weaken it. The foundation is Christ and Christ alone. See, a new citizen transfers from one nation to another. If you're a citizen In heaven, because you're a born again Christian, you've transferred your life from the citizenship of the enemy into the citizenship of heaven. You went from a child of Satan to a child of God. That's what you did. And now you live in the kingdom of heaven. I'm a U.S. citizen. I was Canadian for the first 40 years of my life, eh? You know, I said I was Canadian earlier in the first service, and people started yelling A out, so I thought I would just beat you to the punch. You know, I might not sound Canadian. Once in a while, I might say oot in a boot," but other than that, that's about it. But what I'm saying is I'm a citizen. I was a Canadian for the first 40 years of my life. The USA now recognizes me one of their own, and I'm an American. I'm not classified as Canadian-American. I don't live in two worlds. I don't feel like I've got to run back and forth across the border going, I've got to satisfy this government, I've got to satisfy this government, I've got to live under this laws and that laws. I'm American, I'm here. I'm firmly planted. I don't receive any less benefits. Most of us would not call me a second-class citizen. I'm as American as anyone in this room and I'm as American as anyone who was born here. I get to vote. I get to work here legally. I get to run for most political positions if I would be crazy enough to do so. You get what I'm saying? I have a citizenship here in the United States and nothing can take that away from me. I'm permanent. I'm here. It's kind of like the citizenship of heaven. When you become a Christian, you instantly join and become a citizen of heaven. And nothing can remove that from you because it's on the inside. So my point is that God is no respecter of men and all are equal in the kingdom of heaven and all have equal opportunity. Here's the key. To sign up, receive, receive, and live in the kingdom. See, we all have an equal opportunity. Seven billion people on earth, all of us, if they've heard the message of Christ, which some people haven't, have had the equal opportunity to believe and receive and join the kingdom of heaven. Some of you here today have had that opportunity, and maybe you think you have, or maybe you even don't even care. But today maybe is your opportunity today to join and be a citizen of heaven. And I don't need to go back into the old world, is what he's saying once you're a citizen of heaven, you stay there. Stay on that foundation. As a citizen of the United States, I don't need to go back into, the, into Canada to be fulfilled, to pick up anything there. I've chosen to be here. I've actually renounced my citizenship to Canada by becoming an American. That's what most people do when they, when they come to the United States. They say, I'm going to follow the laws and the regulations of this country, and they let the other one go. All right? I still cheer for Canada when they're playing hockey in the Olympics once in a while when no one else is around in my house. But it doesn't make me any less American. I'm not even seen as Canadian anymore. So if I'm trying to pound that home because a lot of us think that we just become a Christian, that we're still the same old person and we don't have any change. And I'm here to tell you that you've just been transformed into a new place. You're now a citizen of heaven. Because a lot of people have been Taught and a lot of people have preached that heaven is something far, far away. And if you play your cards right, and you're going to get up there someday, and you're going to get the thumbs up or the thumbs down, that's not true. Heaven starts today. Jesus said, I'm going to bring heaven to earth, and it's here today for the believer. You just have to believe it. It's written right there in all those scriptures, and Paul reminds us all the time to run the course, stay on your foundation, don't waver. And the Apostle Paul, he became a citizen of heaven, did he not? He stepped out from his religious background and became a citizen of heaven. He started preaching Jesus. And he lived not as a prisoner of Rome, which many of us think as we look through the story of Paul, how many times he was in trouble and in prison and beaten and shipwrecked. He says, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Can you say that about yourself today? Not a prisoner of anything. I'm just a prisoner of Jesus. See, he took a situation and said, you know what, I'm doing this all for the glory of God and I'm a prisoner of Jesus. See, for a long time I read stories about Paul all the time, and maybe you did too, and we always saw, oh, look at Paul. He's in jail with Silas, and they're chained up in the sewer down in the basement, and Paul didn't even think that way. He said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. And it's through that revelation that he had that chains were broken and people were set free. And it really doesn't matter how people see you anyway. Think about it. It's how you view yourself that determines your actions. And as a Christian, you should view yourself the way God views you. doesn't mean you get to run around and do whatever you want to do and not adhere to some sort of sanity or laws of the land. It's not what it's saying at all. That's not the message of grace that some people think that there's this grace message where you can just do what you want and be free. It's not, that's not the message of grace at all. See, Paul had—if Paul had viewed his his situation from merely a human perspective, like we get in trouble sometimes doing—he would have been depressed. He'd have been fearful, and I would boldly say he probably would have died a lot earlier than he did. The first time he had any trials, he probably just would have punted and said, "That's it, I'm done." But he was a citizen of heaven, and he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and it allowed him to go forward. Paul had a heavenly perspective. I know a lot of good Christians that have a hellish perspective. And then on the inside of them, they have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's just down there somewhere. It's been packed in with negativity and things like that. So if you've had the worst week of your life, the worst day of your life, the worst year, maybe since you've been born again 30 years ago, it's just been hell on earth. It's okay. He's still in you. He's just ready to come out. Let him out. Acts 1, 5-7 says, For John was baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Get the story, right? John baptized Jesus with, the, with water at one time, and then when he came out of the water, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Two baptisms. This is what he's saying in Acts here. Jesus is telling these guys. John baptized in water. In a few days, he's, he's telling them about Pentecost, when, when the Holy Spirit's going to fall on him. Then he goes on to say, it's not for you to know the time or dates the Father is sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's what he's saying, right? So let's get this straight. In Acts 1, Jesus tells them there's going to be a Holy Spirit, and he's going to come upon you, he's going to come in you, and that's what I told you when I said I had to go away, this is what I'm telling you about. You're going to get blasted by God with the Holy Spirit. So what happens in Acts 2? They get blasted by God with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues, they speak the word in boldness, they go forth. And then we're reminded in Acts 4, it says this, in Acts 4, that they got filled again. Now they didn't actually get the Holy Spirit to come in them again, they just refueled, they filled up. So what that's telling me is, you get born again, then you get the Holy Spirit baptized upon you, and then once the Holy Spirit is in you, you keep refueling and refilling, and you keep filling your tanks. Think about that, when you drive your car, How many people have bought a new car? I know Kyle bought a new car not too long ago. The first time he drove his car, he filled it up with gas. He drove it down the highway until it ran out of gas. He got out, slammed the door, and he says, that's it. I guess it's over. It's ridiculous, wouldn't it be, if you had a new car, and you drove it one time, and then it ran out of gas, and you just left it on the side of the road? It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. You just don't, if you get dry, if you get burned out, you get run down, you just don't give up. You just call out to Jesus. You call out to God. Say, Holy Spirit, give me your wisdom. Fill me up. Keep filling me up. You're not getting born again, again. You're not getting filled with the Holy Spirit again again. You're just being refueled and refilled with that Spirit. It's constant. As Christians, our tanks should be full. And when our tanks are full, they should overflow. It's when our tanks are empty is when we're in trouble. We get ourselves into trouble. Think about all the times that you feel like you've kind of walked away maybe for a week or two and just did your own thing. Your tank just goes like this. We have the opportunity to just overflow. And when our tanks are full is when Christians do damage because it's got to go somewhere. It'll come out of your mouth. It'll come out of your actions. And it'll change the world. See, the key to all victory in the Christian life is learning how to depend on the Holy Spirit for strength. Think about this. When I was a young kid, maybe you remember this, Uh, I'd go to the gas station with my dad. you drive into the gas station and you drove across that black hose and you heard a ding and a gentleman or woman sometimes would come out and they would come to your window and they would stand there and what would my dad say every time? Fill Fill her up. Right? That's the opportunity. Every time you pull in to God's fueling station when you're a little low on the tank, you just yell, Fill her up. Fill her up, God. I need something. Fill her up. And you can keep filling it up and filling it up and filling it up. That's why it's being baptized in the Holy Spirit is important because that's when you fill it up and you fill it up. Then the guy might tell you, hey, can I check the oil, right? Same thing. Holy Spirit, as we anoint people with oil up here, is is represented by oil. Fill her up. Can I check the oil? How's your oil today? You've you got plenty in you. Just fill her up and fill her up. The key to all victory in Christian life, like I said, is learning how to depend on the Holy Spirit. See, those who are not born again can never be victorious in the Christian life. Think about that. You can try all you want to live a good religious lifestyle, but without God in dwelling on the inside of you, you're not going to get it and it's going to be work and you're going to crash and you're going to burn. You need the Holy Spirit on the inside. You need to be born again to do that. And Christians who have the Lord on the inside of them will not experience victory unless they depend on the Holy Spirit. So you can say with your mouth the words of salvation and believe in your heart that Jesus is raised from the dead and still get nothing done in your life for Christ because you're not continually filling yourself up on the word, in prayer, in church, maybe a small group. That's what changed it for me a Bible study, I came to church, I didn't get it, then I started to get it, then I got around some guys like Pastor Jim, Roger Vandenpluk, some guys that really got it, and they spoke through the Holy Spirit to me. Changed my life. People who are filled with the Spirit and know the Word of God are the people you should be around if you're struggling. Everybody in the world will tell you what you should do or what you shouldn't have done. How, many, how much advice can people give you? Well, I wouldn't have done that. I would have done this. There's very few, I believe, Christian people that will just sit you down and say, this is what you need to do, and do it. But a lot of people, it's hard, because you've got to go back out in the world. Get around some people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Let them speak a word in your life. I'll talk about that in a little bit. It was the anointing power of the Holy Spirit that worked the miracles in the life of Jesus. Think about that. Without the Holy Spirit, Jesus would have done nothing. He needed that Holy Spirit at the age of 33 or 30 years old to come upon him, and that is what anointed his ministry. And that's what will anoint your ministry as well. It's the Holy Spirit dropped on the inside of you, the constant refilling and refueling with the word of God, God, and you will go forth and do the same things Jesus did. Even better is what he told us. I'm pretty confident that when Jesus wrote something down there, he meant it. He said, the works I do, you'll do greater. So sit up in that upper room until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and when I drop that thing on you like a bomb, you're going to do greater and mightier works. And those apostles and those disciples that went back to fishing right after Jesus died, that didn't recognize him when they're walking on the road, just a few short days later were baptized and bombed with the Holy Spirit, filled with it, and they went out and preached the word with boldness. It says in there the first day 3,000 people got added to their church. That's encouraging. We have plenty of empty seats in here. We couldn't, we couldn't fit 3,000, but if 3,000 people showed up, I'd, we'd find a place for them. It also says later on in that in Acts, I think it's Acts 2:47. I think it says that people were added daily. Boom, 3,000 people added, and then people added daily. These are from some fishermen that couldn't do anything right at one point. They were always whining and complaining. And they are always even talked a little bit about. They even talked a little bit about. When Jesus says in Acts 1, and they said to him, well, are you just going to take over the, the world today? Basically what they said to him. He's like, no, 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 I'm going away. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Read what it says there at the end of Acts 1. See, we have an indwelling presence of Christ that is more than enough to supply any need we face. I love that. The disciples' ministry took off after being filled with the Holy Spirit a second time. And they used the gifts to get people saved. That's what it says. They kept getting filled and filled. They got bombed in, in, in Acts 2, filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says they got refueled and refueled in Acts 4.31. That's what it says. And they continued to keep going. So if you're struggling today, you just need to get filled with the Holy Spirit and you need to refuel and refuel. I know some of us work 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, but you've got to find time to put fuel in the tank. It's not a cliff bar. Although that might help. It's not bacon and eggs in the morning. It's the Word of God. It's that relationship with Jesus that you need to start our day with. And I think, as pastors, all the way down to the kids in the ch- children's ministry, we probably don't do it enough. We do do, sometimes we do just enough, but it's never enough. You've got to find time to refuel and replenish. If you run a marathon, 26 some miles, and you don't eat or drink the whole way, you're not going to make your 26 miles. Same thing with the word of God. If you don't replenish yourself and refuel yourself throughout your walk, because it is a marathon, your walk with God, you're going to collapse. I'm going to move ahead to slide 22, Brent. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. Famous wedding scripture, right? If I had a show of hands, how many people had this scripture at their wedding? I'd probably get at least half of you which is great, because it talks about love. But I think it's talking a lot about God's love to us and how God's love in us allows us to love others. It says love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor, it's not self-seeking, it's not angered, keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. It always protects, trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Man, if we read that at your wedding, I'd like your wife to go home today and check off all those ones you've blown over the last 20 years. Be a few, wouldn't it, Steve? I <laughs> don't want to pick on Steve, but he's my friend. I'm just saying, you can't, you can't keep them all. You can't do that without the help of God, knowing that God, how much God loves you. You cannot love anybody else out of your life because he says right there in verse 8, love never fails. But it's God who is love, never fails. It's the love of God on the inside of you that's not going to fail. I fail, you fail when we act out on our own and we don't act out with the love of God. We'll fail miserably. It happens all the time when we don't act with, with the way God wants us to act. This is talking about God's love. This is the foundation. I believe that scripture is the, a foundation to show us that to walk in love you need to be firmly planted on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's God's love in us and it's the time spent with the Holy Spirit that will draw out from us the good things and then pour forth. Our country is full of oil. It's full of natural gas. It's full of minerals. It's full of water. But they do us no good if they sit in the ground. You've got to draw them out and utilize them. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. He does you no good inside if we don't ask him to come out. We don't release him into our lives. And God's love is the key that opens the door to everything. See, Jesus left the tomb on that Friday. He went to the hell. He got the keys to the kingdom of God back, and he unlocked heaven to us. He said, here's your keys to the kingdom. So every born-again believer has the keys to the kingdom. Some of us have misplaced them. Some of us have them in the pocket. Some of us wear them proudly around our neck, and we use them all the time. So what God, what Jesus is saying is like, here, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. Take them, and rightfully open up yourself into, this, into heaven. Because you're a citizen, you can rightfully be there. And the person that doesn't have any keys to the kingdom of heaven, it's Satan. We've seen he's the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's a liar, he's a thief. So he's going to try to break in and disrupt your life because he has no right to your life. He has no right to your life, not the day you were born again. He had no right to your life the day Jesus rose again. So what you confessed out of your mouth that you believe And that gives you right standing with God. It was done over 2,000 years ago. Think about that. You are just acknowledging something that's been in place for over 2,000 years. You are joining a team that's been victorious for 2,000 years. I've always talked about the Harlem Globetrotters versus the Washington Generals. That's it. Who always wins? It looks close sometimes, but the Harlem Globetrotters, they always win. That's the team you play for. The team that always wins. Satan... Already lost, so those keys to the kingdom were received back in our pocket two thousand years ago. Ephesians 1.3 says, "You are blessed with all spiritual blessings." Isn't that great? When you can hear the word "blessed" within six words, you are blessed with all spiritual blessings. Blessed, we're blessed people. Many today are saved, and we have initial filling of the Holy Spirit, and that's good. And we're having bound, like I said. But the book of Acts shows us there's a second feeling. We get the Holy Spirit again. And then we refuel and re, refuel and refuel on the Holy Spirit. To me, he gives me a gift, uh, I think, which is available to everybody when, you, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. is a gift of the praying in tongues. And edi- speaking an edifying word in, to God, into my life. And when I be able to edify myself and be built up in God through that, through that I also believe that we're given the gift of Prophecy. A lot of people think prophecies are you're trying to speak some big major future event, which could happen. It's a positive thing, prophecy. But basically prophecy is just speaking a good word from God into someone's life. And if you're not speaking to God this way, you can't speak God's word this way into someone's life. You've got to be refueled and you've got to be filled up. And all God's work has been completed and prepared for you. And Jesus came and he went sat down next to God and he said, here it is. And he says, "Come, rule, and reign with me." That's what he says. Can't get any better message than that. It's a message that I have to tell myself all the time. When things don't look good on the outside, I got to remind myself, like the video said, "This is who I am. This is who's on the inside of me. This is my right standing with God. I have keys to the kingdom. I'm a citizen of heaven." Go through. You can through, go go throughout your day and remind yourself of those things. You have a power plant that raised Christ from the dead on the inside of you. Let him out. Feed him. Let him out. Feed your mind, the word of God, let the Holy Spirit out. It's a constant thing. Refuel, refuel, refuel. The Holy Spirit came upon these guys like dynamite. Doing a it says. So God's saying to you today to get filled up Come up to my throne room and see things the way I see them. And you'll see things in a different way. As we do communion today, and I'll invite like Pastor Jason up, as we do communion today, it's just a reminder of what's already been done for us. Your salvation was guaranteed at the cross 2,000 years ago. It's just whether you want to believe that and receive that. Just like we talk about communion, it's, it's a reminder of something that Jesus did on that Last Supper with his disciples. It's already been done. It's just a reminder of that Jesus telling these, these, these gentlemen that this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. It's going to be broken for all mankind. It's going to be broken from the sins of mankind past, present, and future. So when we see Jesus on the cross marred and beaten, it's because he took your depression, he took your alcoholism, he took your sickness, he took your bitterness, he took your anger, he took your fear. He took it all and put it on himself and went to the cross. And then he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant that's been shed for you. He's basically saying, I'm ushering in a new covenant where when earlier covenant, where man was at war with God, he says, I'm going to make you a friend of God again. He says, I'm ushering in a new covenant so you could get back to the right relationship with God that I designed at the beginning of time. Adam might have blown it, Eve might have messed it up, but Jesus has fixed it all. And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. And when you believe in me that I died and rose again, that I'm ascended into heaven, and I'm seated at the right hand of the Father, he says, he says, you will be set free. You will live in this new covenant. So today when you come for communion, you come as a believer. Come with this mindset that you're a citizen of heaven, you have the King living on the inside of you. And you have been set free once and for all. Just because your, your situation doesn't look like you're free doesn't mean you're not free. We're kingdom dwellers. We're kingdom livers. And we've been set free. Amen.